Hey, real quick, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming conference that you might be interested in attending. It's the Joy in the Home Marriage and Family Conference featuring Todd as the guest speaker. It takes place Saturday, September 17th at Foothills Community Church in Marble Hill, Georgia. Hey, that's my church. The conference will start at 5.30 p.m. with dinner provided just prior to the conference at 4.30 p.m. by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I told him to do that just to get up Todd's nose. So if you live in the North Georgia area or you just want to make the drive, make your plans now to attend on Saturday, September the 17th by going to foothillscommunitychurch.org to get all of the details and your tickets. We can't wait to see you. And now, our British friend. Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. In issues of racism, there are going to be some who will say, why don't you stick to preaching gospel? The social, political, and economic concerns have increasingly encroached upon the minds of those who should know better. The real transformative work in a nation is the transformative work of the gospel. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The war on words and children continues. This is Wretched Radio. How do you win an argument when you don't have one? <laughs> you resort to tactics. For instance, you could use logical fallacies. You could use straw men. Paint a picture of somebody that's rather ridiculous so that you can just knock it down. That's how you win an argument when you don't have one. But there is a war on words that is currently being used to persuade an entire civilization that up is actually down, that blue is now red, that what was once bad is actually praiseworthy. And the only way, and frankly, it's been really successful, that progressives have been able to persuade the majority of folks in Western civilization that boys can become girls, that mommies can take the lives of their children, is through linguistic trickery. A case in point, gender-affirming care. Doesn't that remind you of women's health issue? Women's health issue? What? What about the life of the woman that's in her womb? They use a redefining, painting it in a prettier light, so that they can persuade people, okay, we don't want to be mean. Elvis Presley set the precedent for this when he sang, don't be cruel, man. That is the number one crime you can commit these days. Don't hurt somebody's feelings. That is a big no-no, and you and I are guilty of that all the time. We are seen as people who are really mean. Well, I would like to suggest to you the people who are using this linguistic trickery are the mean people. Headline from The Federalist, gender-affirming care is the opposite of gender-affirming and caring. I read some things in this article. Oh, boy. Do you know what they are doing to our children? Do you know what is happening behind closed doors when a confused child or perhaps an attention-seeking child is being persuaded by the medical community? This isn't just fringe stuff going on. These are hospital systems. 
that are promoting the mutilizing, mutilization, the butchery of our children. And I had no, I because you don't think about it because it's like, yeah, I don't want to think about those issues. Gender affirming care is neither gender affirming nor caring. Consider the presumption in this linguistic trickery. Gender affirming care. The assumption is that the person can identify as an actual gender despite their sexual parts. Because that is what makes you a particular gender. Your sex sex and gender cannot be divorced, but they are trying to. That's another trick that they're trying to pull. Well, there's a difference between sex and gender. What, what is it? Well, sex is your body parts. Gender is what you believe you are. Okay, so mind over matter, apparently. They assume that the person who identifies as a particular gender, gender is in the right. Sorry, you, you've taken a leap right out of the gate, but they get away with it because they call it gender-affirming care. Don't you want to affirm somebody? Don't, don't you want somebody to be happy? It's a Martin Bailey. It is a Martin Bailey. That is precisely what it, they're everywhere. By the way, if, if you've never been introduced to Martin Bailey, it is a curse. Because once you, once you recognize this linguistic trick, you see it every place. The Mott is the agreed-upon idea. The Bailey is the application. And when somebody agrees, hey, we want to affirm people. Don't you want people to feel good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all say amen. Therefore, we should have gender-affirming care where we literally mutilate bodies. Um, no, I don't think that's right. Don't you want people to be happy and affirmed? Oh, it's trickery is what it is. And is it ever nasty from the Federalist? Gender affirming care is a lie because gender is not a free floating metaphysical substance. <laughs> gender becomes nonsensical when disconnected from sex. Because this is this is a line worth remembering. Because you will engage in this conversation if you know any pagans that promote this butchery of children. Because gender is the social expression of the biological realities of human sex. That's worth keeping. Who wrote this article anyway? Uh, Nathaniel Blake. That is a great line. Gender is the social expression of of the biological realities of human sex. Gender doesn't make sense without reference to biological sex. It either goes in circles. In other words, a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. Therefore, she's a woman because she identifies as a woman. That's circular. Or it descends into rather crude stereotypes. In other words, a boy who likes to play with dolls must be a girl. So we identify an activity that is traditionally been more in alignment with one gender than the other to use it to say that person's gender is wrong because they like to play with dollies. It's unbelievable what they're doing. We are sexually dimorphic. The difference between male and female is essential to the continuation of humanity. Thus, through though there is variation in gender expression, there are some boys who are more manly than others. There are some girls that are also 
a little bit more masculine than others. So there is a variety, variation in gender expression, but that doesn't mean that they actually are that gender from the article. Though there is a variation in gender expression between individuals and gender expectations between cultures, gender always has to refer back to our embodied realities as male or female. Some cultures view certain societal norms differently, and we can live with that. But that doesn't override an individual's body parts. There cannot be a gender identity that is deeper, more essential, or more immutable than our sex. It is impossible to have gender-affirming medical care that attempts to efface the reality of bodily sex. Now, this article gets into uh, what I did not realize was actually happening. The medical transition that all, all it does is it truly, it just, it, it, just, it, it just mutilates a body. It's all it does. It doesn't suddenly make you a girl because you've been castrated or you've had a double mastectomy, but that's what they're doing Medical transition always inflicts physical harm for no physical benefit. It damages a patient's body rather than healing it. From The Federalist, this article from John Daniel Davidson. This is not suitable for children, so heads up on this one. Boston Children's Hospital put out some ads that some people have caught on to and they've pulled them down. Posting publicly available promotional videos and other information touting so-called gender-affirming care, which includes chemical castration, mastectomies, hysterectomies, and genital mutilation performed on minors. Well, some conservatives caught on to it, so Boston Hospital, they removed all the videos about gender-affirming care from YouTube and quietly updated its website to claim falsely that gender-related surgeries are only for those over 18, even though they produced videos that said no. A buttoned-up surgeon in one of the videos calmly explains phalloplasty while, while music plays underneath. Here's what's being described. They um, cut off a forearm flesh from a healthy girl to fashion a non-functioning male body part. Did you know that's what they're doing to children? Kaiser Permanente, Oakland, California, has amputated the breasts of a 12-year-old girl and castrated a 16-year-old boy in the name of gender-affirming care. Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh promotes puberty blockers for children, the pediatric Pediatric Gender Program Director at Yale has admitted on camera she believes children as young as two or three can be eligible for medical intervention and treatment on their gender journey. Gender-affirming care? Oh, no, it's not. It's bad logic. It's linguistic trickery. And it is downright barbaric. And we live in a world where if you speak up against it, you're the barbarian. You're the cruel one. Because they mot and bailey us to pieces. This is our time. 
We must do it rightly. We don't want to sound like crackpots. We don't want to be angry at people because look what you're doing to this place. But this is now the Christian time to stand and speak if we care for children. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon, was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized, and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Okay, so I've got a question for you. When was the last time you snuck something in the mail that actually made it to its destination on time? Has it been a while? We feel your pain because at the Wretched Store, we've also been having trouble promising delivery dates for your purchases, and we don't like that at all. Which is why our annual digital sale couldn't have come at a better time. This Friday through Sunday, you'll find the digital download and stream of select resources in the Wretched Store marked 50% off. And that's a win-win-win. How so? Simple. Number one, half-off regular price. That's a win for you. Number two, immediate delivery and no waiting on the postal service. Another win for you. And number three, you're happy because you've saved money and didn't have to wait. That's a win for us. See, a win-win-win for everyone all the way around. So don't miss this opportunity that only comes around once a year. Our annual digital sale, Friday through Sunday only at the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at Tomorrow Clubs org slash wretched important dates in Christian history 1536 John Calvin publishes the Institutes of the Christian religion the most substantial theological work of the Reformation Calvin's ideas would deeply influence church and politics in Switzerland and Scotland and take root in the newly discovered North America. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It's fun to stay at the YMCA if they actually let you stay. 
This is Wretched Radio, uh, Port Townsend, Washington, YMCA, boots an 80-year-old woman and bans her from ever returning to the premises again. In other words, she can't stay at the YMCA. Why? The details are breathtaking. She was in a locker room, the girls' locker room. There was a man in that locker room, and they don't exactly say why, but she knew it was a man who was staring at little girls. She approaches him to say, excuse me, are you a man? She's told it's none of your business. She tells the front desk, who Planet Fitness style bans her from the premises. <laughs> okay, here's if you're a songwriter, here here I here I got it for you. Do you remember the do you remember the Three Dog Night song? The ink is black, the page is white, together we learn to read and write. A song about racial harmony. The ink is black, the page is white. We need something similar. So like um what's up is down, what's true is false. Together we learn to divide (laughs) something like hey you're the musician get it figured out according to a report in the new york post the woman confronted a ymca employee stating there is a trans woman in the locker room remember that fellow was watching little girls change out of their bathing suits Quote, I saw a man in a woman's bathing suit watching maybe four or five little girls pulling down their suits in order to use the toilet. I asked if he was a male. I'm cleaning that up a bit. None of my business, he said. I told that man to get out right now. She was then accused of being discriminatory by the YMCA manager, threatened with the police, and ordered to leave. She'd only been a member, however, of the YMCA for 35 years, probably didn't realize that the original code of the YMCA has been lost somewhere in the shuffle. She's been banned from the pool permanently. The next Monday, this 80-year-old woman, did I mention she's an octogenarian, and others gathered to speak about the local YMCA's policy of allowing men into the women's locker room. As she was speaking, a mob, including burly tattooed men, converged on the rally screaming, trans women are women, to drown her out. They ripped down the suffragette flags on display behind the, did I mention she's an 80-year-old woman? who was visibly shaken and asked, are we going to get beat up here? And asked supporters of the crowd to call the police. Eventually, the mob surrounded the 80-year-old woman. Now, here's the detail. Most of them middle-aged and elderly women. They had to form a protective circle around her. Where were the men? Where were the fellas? To protect women. Oh, I know. That's so sexist these days. But men were assaulting women verbally and physically intimidating them. And it was mostly women left to defend themselves. Where where are the men? What happened to the fellows on this issue? 
really, gentlemen, we're going to leave it up to the women to deal with a very hostile cultural opponent? Some women were thrown to the ground. Others had their shoes ripped off. Cool. And just as they were beginning to tussle with the women, the police showed up. Hold on. The hits just keep coming. The mayor of the town, who is a self-described, quote, self-described, quote, pervert and deviant, praised the mob that went after the 80-year-old woman and her mostly female supporters, calling it an incredible night that was beautiful, claiming trans and cis alikes spoke love and support. <laughs> Not exactly the way that it went down. Where were the men? Where, where, where were the fellas to, to protect the women? I think we need to recognize um, that there are some people out there who are willing to do physical harm. And if we are going to do some public speaking on these subjects, um, fellas, you better show up. We better be there with our women to send the message, no. No, you're not going to bully these women, fellas. How do we engage in a culture where what's up is down, what's right is wrong? Together, together we learn to sing a song. I just, it, things just <laughs> practically write themselves. I've heard about that. that Songs writing themselves. That was beautiful. Got <laughs> See, there it is right there. The word beautiful doesn't mean what it used to mean. Um, no. You've just redefined the word beautiful. <laughs> Little linguistics trickery going on. What do we do in this era? Do we have a generous spirit and use people's preferred pronouns? I just can't get over Proverbs 27. I just can't get over it. That, that concealed love, which is, well, I'm not going to speak the truth to somebody because it's not nice. Um, actually is bad and is forbidden that the, the, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And if we allow people to continue in what is a delusion, we're just not being loving. Now, how we present this, I think that we can cut a wide swath here, and there can be situations and circumstances when it makes sense, when it doesn't. Not every single immoral act in the world demands we speak up and say something about it, but there are times. It was interesting. This last weekend was at a, was at a deli, and there was, I, uh, there, was, there was a woman at the table next to us. Mrs. Friel, I believe, was in the ladies' Yeah, it was a ladies' room. It wasn't a gender-neutral bathroom. It was actually a ladies' room. And the woman next to me said, oh, that's such a cute boy because I actually had a dog in my lap. Oh, I'm sorry. Or is it a girl? And I said, does that matter anymore? And she was like, well, you know, I, it, I, and she's looking around like, is somebody going to hear me say this? And I said, it's okay. You're safe. You can actually say that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. Okay, it's a small thing, but it's something. 
come on, we all feel the pressure, don't we? You just get along. Don't say anything to these people. They're going to hate us. Um, well, they already do. And if we are going to be loving, we need to speak truth. That we need to not let people persist in the delusion. This was written by, oh, not the bee. That's the Babylon Bee, not regular news. No, it is. Re- yeah, it's regular yeah, news. It's, it hence, not the bee. Right. So why was it written by John Knox? What What was that about exactly? <laughs> is that a pseudonym? Is that what I called? hope so. If someone wanted to be called tree, tree self, would you refer to a person as a plant? If someone that had pronouns that changed by the hour, should we capitulate? If a middle schooler wants to be called rock or banana, would that require a generosity of spirit approach? Generous of spirit is speaking truth when it even has a cost. A couple of interesting, helpful articles that I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers is attending a wedding, an endorsement. This was written by David Strain, and the answer is, yeah, yeah, it is. In Scripture, wedding involves a solemn and publicly recognized covenantal bond. The community, by its presence, affirms the legitimacy of the marital bond being established. Uh-oh. That's why in some older wedding liturgies, the congregation is asked, if anyone knows of any lawful impediment why these two should not be joined together in holy matrimony to speak now or forever hold their peace. We affirm when we go to a wedding. We're not just spectators. We are witnesses. Furthermore, since attending a wedding means more than just showing up, but actually showing approval, we should ask ourselves if this particular union is one we can add our affirmation to cheerfully and with a clear conscience. That's what we're doing when we go to a wedding ceremony. This fellow writes, we need to be clear that a decision not to attend may cause confusion and hurt. It might well come at a high relational cost to us. But this is our cultural moment, decisions that we are called upon to make more frequently, and we must adjust our expectations and consider these decisions part of the cost of following the one who was persecuted more than anybody else on the planet, our Savior. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Blatant racism is continuing all over the country. You may have heard by now, but the University of California at Berkeley is in the news as their off-campus housing program has implemented a ban on white people, it seems. So there's a set of POC, that's people of color house guest rules, circulating. (laughs) Let me just read some excerpts. Quote, Many POC members moved here to avoid white violence and white presence, so respect their decision of avoidance if you bring white guests. Oh, and while white guests are allowed to visit, they are never allowed in common spaces. Yeah, that's blatant racism, which is perfectly okay as long as it's against white people. 
And in today's wacky world of backwards, a man may soon be allowed onto the LPGA Tour. So the story is this guy apparently feels like a woman, and not just any woman, a golfing woman, who believes that he deserves a spot on the LPGA Tour. And I would venture to guess that this guy, just like the guy that swims on the women's swim team at the Pennsylvania College, and many other men around the country, probably would still be men if sports weren't involved. But again, I'm just guessing. And I'm sure most of us are familiar with the company Vanguard. They're an asset management company that manages over $7 trillion in client assets, so it's a pretty sizable operation. Well, last month, the company decided that it should hold a diversity training session for employees, and in that training said that white men should accept uncomfortable criticism about their implicit biases. Critical lever that we're here to talk about today, engaging white male managers in advancing diversity and inclusion. Do be aware of implicit biases and work to understand your blind spots. And I wonder why all of this talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion is always geared toward white men. A more departing seems to be taking place in the United Methodist denomination as 31 Methodist churches in North Carolina have moved to leave the denomination and they've even hired an attorney to help with the separation. And of course, it all stems from how the denomination is handling its views on same-sex marriage and homosexual clergy. Please continue praying for all of our Methodist brothers and sisters. And Islamic terrorists in southern Nigeria kidnapped four nuns on Sunday, just three days after suspected Fulani herdsmen shot a Christian attorney to death. Also, a top commander of the Islamic State West Africa Province terrorist organization has indicated that he will forcibly marry a Christian university student that the group kidnapped earlier in the year. Nigeria leads the world in number of Christians kidnapped and murdered for their faith. And as we tell you constantly here at Wretched, please make sure that you are continually praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Zephaniah begins with a shocking prophecy that God will sweep away everything from the face of the earth. But in the midst of judgment, God offers hope of salvation. Zephaniah gives us a picture of God's terrible wrath and reminds us of the wrath Jesus took upon himself for our sake. Flee to the Savior and be saved. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Your wish is our command, even if it's not your wish. This is Wretched Radio. It seems to me as difficult and frankly painful as it is to study philosophy. It's still worth our time. You can go as deep as you choose to, but please note, you'll probably end up really depressed because godless philosophies are so nihilistic and so hopeless. That caution aside, I do believe we do well to try to figure out how it is that we have arrived at this cultural moment. And the answer, in part, is philosophy. It is not the only influence on our society, but the philosophies that have been touted for centuries ultimately contribute to the world system. Speaking of which, this is an encouraging word. I, I, the, the fellow at church on Sunday who read Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the, no, it was a psalm. No, wait, it was a proverb. Hold on. <laughs> it was in the Bible. 
that it was a psalm that God has drawn my lines in pleasant places. It, it, it's, it's, it's a Hebraism that means that God is treating me the best way for me. He's drawn my lines in pleasant places. And I think there's a twofold indication. One is we recognize and identify God has done a lot of good stuff for us. Even if your life is hard right now, you still have to admit you look back. God has been kind and gracious and good and charitable and patient and giving and loving and merciful. He, all of those are lines in pleasant places. I would suggest you could even go into some of the physical aspects of our existence. If you have a house, you've got HVAC, you have a vacuum cleaner. These are all your lines being drawn in pleasant places. That's one way of looking at it. But then there's another way that might actually bring you some comfort. God has drawn boundary lines around you. And the things that are inside of those lines, it's exactly what is best. That those are lines drawn in the most pleasant places. What's the implication and application of this? If you don't have something that you want, it's because God has drawn boundaries around them. You don't have X amount of dollars in your bank. Your lines have been drawn in pleasant places because God is protecting you from an invasion. You perhaps don't have the health that you would desire don't want to treat this casually because it ain't fun to be sick, but God has drawn your lines and he's currently keeping good health out of your life because it is what is best for you. The world system wants to erase those lines. The world system wants to draw new boundary markers. The world wants to tell you what is best for you. And when we study philosophy, we can see how it is that these ideas were formulated, germinated, and then anything else that's aided to blossom into the, the garden of licentiousness that we are currently witnessing. This is from Bruce Ashford, headline, The Seven Most Destructive Philosophers in Western History. Well then... That's a list I can buy into. He starts with Plato, going back to the 4th century B.C. I think it's pretty conclusive that this fellow has had more influence than any other philosopher. And believe me, a lot of philosophers have had influence, but Plato influenced all of the philosophers to varying degrees. Furthermore, he's influenced the church. Ask the Medicis with their Neoplatonism incorporating Platonic ideas into Catholic culture. Plato is alive and well, unfortunately. He believed that the visible world is inferior to the invisible and that knowledge gained from the physical world is therefore deceptive. This is the dualism that Plato invented. Physical, spiritual. Physical, intellectual. There's, there's no joining. There, there's, there's no connection. One is better than the other. And that mindset exists in the, in the minds of many Christians. I go to church, but it really doesn't affect life. It doesn't really have implications for me. You can thank Plato for that ideology. He was a philosopher of hyper-rationality, of the otherworldly, who denigrated God's good creation. 
And this philosophy has a rich history of appropriation in subsequent philosophy and even in Western cultural development, such as transgender ideology and humanism. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Plato. Number two. Well, this fellow landed on our top 10 most evil, awful books of all time video that we produced recently. He lived between 1469 and 1527. Machiavelli Clinton. Sorry, that's not his last name, but it could be. The Prince was the name of his book. Argued that Christian morality is detrimental to good government and that political leaders should therefore operate as secular pragmatists. The ends justify the means. Trust us, we're the government. We know better. He believed a political leader should sometimes be cruel although the cruelty should be administered quickly, get it over with, where the leader's acts of kindness should be meted slowly over time so that he will always be seen as generous. He further advises leaders to lie and break their promises. Well, we got a lot of princes in Washington these days. Frederick the Great, Bismarck, Mussolini, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler embraced his ideas and put them into action. That goes back to the 16th century, which brings us to a fellow who lived between 1588 and 1679, English philosopher Thomas Hobbes. I think that's how you pronounce it, H-O-B-B-E-S. Believe that physical matter is all there is, and that therefore human beings are merely particles in motion. Can you hear the Imago Dei being erased by Mr. Hobbes? He further believed that society is merely an aggregate of violent political animals who need to be kept in check via a powerful sovereign body. This emphasizing, thus emphasizing the importance of sovereign political bodies. Nation states can replace the church as society's central institution. Perhaps you've read his work. Leviathan, number four, most evil philosopher of all time, Descartes. This is the born very end of the 16th century, died in 1650, known as the father of modernity. René Descartes, which means he's French, considered autonomous reason to be the final arbiter of truth and posited methodological doubt as the foundation upon which humanity could build a solid structure of knowledge. <laughs> That's why confusion is the basis of order. What? It's, they're two different things right there. Not according to René. His conclusions foreshadow contemporary movements such as transgenderism and transhumanism. Karl Marx comes in at number five. He was a thinker. He was not just an economist. He was a philosopher. And he believed in a two-tiered system, the oppressor and the oppressed. That is not a biblical definition of people groups. You is either in the light or you are in darkness. You are either born again or you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Number six, Compte. Comp, C-O-M-T-E, the Compte. From 1798 to 1857, Auguste is his first name, a French philosopher who believed human beings are intrinsically good, but institutions pervert and corrupt the individual. 
He endeavored to establish an atheistic religion. And finally, that brings us to number seven. This is a 20th century fellow, Foucault. Michel, specifically, borrowed from Nietzsche, from Marx. Totally atheistic, anti-realist view of the world. He adopted that power is at the center of all political discourse and argued that knowledge is merely a means to manipulate and exercise power. Does that sound at all like Marx and Nietzsche? Yeah, it does. Thus, words such as insane, prisoner, and homosexual are manipulative labels that Western society uses to ostracize certain persons. Foucault further believed that human beings do not have an essence but are constructed by systems and networks of power. You can thank him for critical race theory, queer theory, and intersectionality. Do we need to do a deep dive into these fellows? I don't think so. But I do think we need to know the big ideas that they tried to download into society that certainly seem to be coming to a culmination right now in Western civilization, don't they? I, we still don't know the date of Jesus' return. So we're clear on that. But I sure do sympathize with the people who say, why, if he doesn't come soon, what, what else needs to happen here? Well, I've seen, I think we've seen more depraved times than we are currently living in, but we're working on excelling in that department. We're getting there. And we're getting there courtesy of secular humanistic philosophies. This is Wretched Radio. Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Masters Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Hello and gracias. That means thank you in Spanish for our Uno lingual listeners. Gracias for listening to Wretched Radio today, where you learn all kinds of things. And another place you're able to learn stuff, the Wretched website. That's right, Wretched.org is full of amazing content, like each full 30-minute TV episode, our full daily radio episodes. You can also use the nifty search bar to find hundreds of topics that have been discussed on either radio or TV. The Wretched store is there too, and it's loaded with over 40 resources, all produced with the help of our gospel partners. If you're already an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner, thank you. Your efforts and support have helped us reach millions of people with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a monthly Wretched Gospel partner, would you prayerfully and thoughtfully consider becoming one? You can find answers to virtually any question you have about becoming a gospel partner at wretched.org slash donate. Or you can text the word Wretched to 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. How's inflation been treating you if 
costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home, would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched. Affordable Biblical Health Sharing. Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7 describes the Son of Man who came from heaven, received worship from all nations, and rules a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Jesus uses this title to affirm that he is fully human and fully divine. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. 2019. If you're wondering, this is Wretched Radio. Headline, Does Socialism Have to be Godless? An article written in 2019 in a magazine that may or may not surprise you printed this dreck. Jimmy, do you want to know what magazine printed Does Socialism Have to be Godless? Was Which certainly does feel rhetorical, yeah. doesn't it? It's like... A loaded question. Who printed it? You're right, Christianity Today. Hmm. Does socialism have to be godless? Yes, it does, because otherwise it isn't socialism. It's baked into the system. Have you noticed this trend lately? People will say, I'm conservative, but look, I'm really conservative, but you know, I don't know why everybody's so uptight about this marriage thing. Well, then you're not conservative. I'm conservative, but you know... Spending bills are good. You're not conservative. I'm conservative, but you're not conservative. And you're not socialist if you're not godless. God has no place in socialism, especially the Christian God, which one verse puts an end to socialism. Thou shalt not covet. It is an endorsement of private property rights and Socialism teaches just the opposite, and it does so because it denies the existence of God. Christianity Today in 2019 asking if it has to be godless, the answer is, yeah, yeah, it does. This fellow is reviewing a book that is called, get ready for this one, by Vanessa Cook. Spiritual Socialists, Religion, and the American Left. And this this review in Christianity Today is quite generous and affirming, which is interesting because the new editor-in-chief is Russell Moore, and he is on record as of June stating, I hate socialism. I've seen its wreckage up close. It's based on a faulty view of human nature, plus it doesn't work. Well, then. I wonder how that that's working out there at Christianity Today with the new editor-in-chief 
and this favorable review of a book that promotes socialism. Let's listen to this fellow try to make the case he's reviewing the book. Don't forget. Spiritual socialism defies tidy boundaries. Yeah, that means we write it as we go. And yet, by the end of the book, one still longs for just a bit more clarity on its extent and limits. That's as critical as the article was. I would have just like a little bit more of a fleshing out of the subject of spiritual socialism. Okay, wait, spiritual socialism, uh, which is similar to religious murder, which is very similar to theistic torture. That's what that is right there. So it's an oxymoron. Pretty much is what I'm saying. Yet such lingering questions should not detract from the tremendous service this author has done in lifting up a spiritual socialist tradition that has languished too long in obscurity. Yep, it was rhetorical, all right. Little wonder that fully 30 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, so many American believers struggle to conceive of the possibility that anything good could come out of socialism. Name one thing. We're waiting. One thing that is good. The remarkable witness of the radical Christians at the heart of this book suggests otherwise. Their faith moved mountains. The least we can do is expand our moral imaginations. Did I mention that was written in 2019 in Christianity Today? Another Shocking article, if you can still be shocked these days. The New York Times. Headline, my abortion at 11 wasn't a choice, it was my life. Now, unfortunately, tragically, sadly, this little girl from the age of 10 to 11 was sexually abused by a 14-year-old male babysitter. Maybe not a good idea, mom and dad. And she had an abortion. And she writes about it in the New York Times to make her argument for abortion. And when you pause just for a moment to consider what this argument is, it's rather shocking. My abortion wasn't a choice, writes the author. It was my life. If I had been forced to give birth, so she's going to predict what the future would have looked like if she hadn't had an abortion. If I had been forced to give birth, I wouldn't be texting my mom from my home in a beautiful mountain town. How do you know that? The answer is you don't. Furthermore, that's utilitarian. You perceive that your life is better. We have no way of of knowing this, but you perceive that your life is better. Therefore, what I did is acceptable. Now, let's let's be clear on this. What happened to her as a little girl? I'm sorry. 14-year-old boy knows that's wrong. Not sure why we would delay in dealing punitively with a little boy who rapes a littler girl. They know better at the age of 14. It's tragic, but as difficult as this scenario is, we can't punish the innocent party for the guilty actions of the father. Quote, I wouldn't teach at the nearby university. I wouldn't be working on a book about climate change and how to shelter to shatter predetermined destinies. I wouldn't be married to my husband or have my two children 
We don't know that. My life would not have been my own. Yes, it would. It just would have involved your child. This is the argumentation of the world. And this is not the first time we've seen this. Jimmy, do you remember that uh, it was called Uncomfortable Conversations? It's yeah. a bit of a YouTube sensation where a fellow sits down and they're, you know, they're calm and polite, but they talk about the difficult things. And they had three women. And what was the name of the pastor's wife? Who's the pastrix with him? Uh, Judah Smith. That's wife. the one. Yeah. yeah. And they sat there to talk about abortion. And all they did was justify their abortions, not the pastor's wife, although she affirmed them because of what they've been able to accomplish. The one woman claiming I wouldn't have won a gold medal if I had had to struggle over the issue. If I didn't have the freedom to abort my child, I might have been at the starting line really thinking about what I had done. That's That was her argument. That, by the way, is the argument of a bully. That is the argument uh, that would make Machiavelli very happy. The ends justifies the means. How do we address the subject of abortion in church? Glad you asked the question. David Ayers seeks to answer it. From 2015 to 2019, brace yourself, 12% of all evangelical women aged 32 to 49 who have ever been pregnant admitted to having an abortion. 12% inside of our churches and to be clear, you are most welcome. Of these, more than one in five had more than one abortion. In other words, abortion is inside of our churches. And whilst we can go about the business of railing, and it deserves railing, of the pro-death movement, we've got to remember that there are women inside of our congregations, and men too, who have committed this sin. And this article encourages the pastor to preach about it, to teach about it, to talk about it, to not bury this stuff. And obviously, you don't want to call out a person who was involved in an abortion, but you do want to call out to them so that they can hear the good news that even that sin can be forgiven. And they should be preaching about the value of human life, that God knits us together in our mother's womb. Everything that is you was there at conception. We are image bearers of God. We somehow reflect his character and nature. And by the way, it takes two genders to do that, which is the great equalizer between genders. We get to be an image bearer for God. That is what we get to do. And when an individual has taken the life of another image bearer, and they come seeking reconciliation with God, we should joyfully announce to them, oh, your sins as far as the east is from the west. We should be granting that, I shouldn't say granting it because we don't give it, God does, proclaiming the forgiveness that is available in Jesus Christ, teaching thoughtfully, sensitively about the subject of life, on a regular basis because we still have a lot of children staggering to the slaughter. If your church has never mentioned from the pulpit the sin of abortion, not just talking about the wickedness of it, not just talking about how terrible it is for culture and how many babies have died, but proclaiming 
God's grace is so expansive that even you can be forgiven of your sin of abortion. If you don't hear it in church, I'm sorry, but you just did. Can you accept that truth? Until tomorrow, go serve your king.